it goes. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for all of the many ways that you reveal your love to us and you reveal your word to us and the way that you reveal to us your deep interaction with us in this world that you you walked here where we walk you have felt things that we felt you have experienced thirst and hunger and hope and joy and you are also the almighty creator thank you for this time together to to ponder that and please bless this time please help us to learn something new about your will for our lives in jesus name amen Okay, uh, why don't we start with our Bible passage? Would you like to read it? Yeah, can we do full screen? No. Okay. Okay. The very words of God. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will be brought back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke 1, 15 through 17. Yes. So today, as we learn more about uh, the way of John the Baptist, the kind of brainstorming question we want to pose here at the start is, when have you stood in a place of historical significance? Because we're going to see in the video that's going to happen today. Um, examples that Dan and I thought of were, if you've been to Dealey Plaza in Dallas, or if you've been to the Lorraine Motel in Memphis where Dr. King was assassinated, have you been to a place like that? and just felt the historical importance of, of being in such an, a spot where really important things happened, and you can kind of ponder that. in Oklahoma City, six blocks south of the bombing. Oh, man. So, significant in my life. I don't know about anyone else. But yeah. What does that look like now? Um, just thankful we wouldn't. You know, closer and on the other side where everything blew out. Wow. Um, we've been like two, three blocks closer. You were there that day. Oh, yeah. Oklahoma City. yeah. Oh, my goodness. And having to live through, I was the first, uh, I helped them get started, you know, financially with their controller deal, hearing all the stories and everything uh, with firemen and everybody that had to work through it. Um, 
present situation to make sure. Those are great examples. What else do you have? Uh, Garden of Gethsemane. Wow. Mars Hill, the amphitheater in Ephesus where all the town came in, yelled raised Diana of the Ephesians for quite a while. Wow. What were you thinking about when you were in the garden? Uh, Jesus, his time there. You, you feel kind of a connection that you really hadn't felt before. Looking out over Jerusalem, you know, from there you're looking at the, the old city and you can picture Jesus saying, uh, uh, I would have gathered you like chicks under my wing, but you would not. And to me, I think that's exactly it. That's that's sort of, that's the thing behind what we're seeing here today, right? Is it would be awesome to be able to go to these places. There's a, I think for me the inspiration of this question was there's a spot towards the end of the video where they're standing where they they like John the Baptist might have been killed right here, you know. And, and so for all of the scenes that we see here, it just brings such a. It's not just a story, and a, it's not even like you. I you can think. Lincoln was a real person. I can see photographs, and that's fine. But when you go to a place where this person was, there, there is this, you get this connection that's hard to describe with that. And so I think, isn't that the, the point of this whole video series, is to try to give us a little bit more of feeling like we, I, I can see what that place is like, and it just makes it so much easier to imagine that these are not just, you know, felt people on a, on a Sunday school lesson plan, that they're real human beings that struggled and hurt and feared. Yeah. Alright, well let's jump into it. I have I have tested the audio about 14 times this morning. But uh, let's, whew, this is going to work out.
Moses came with a message. He said, the Lord has heard your cry. He's going to deliver you. But the text tells us they did not listen, for they were discouraged, or as the Hebrew says, they were crushed in spirit. So in a sense, God led them out into the desert, where he strengthened their spirits. Strengthened their spirits in manna from heaven and water from the rock, healing from snake bites. A tabernacle where he met them intimately. Mount Sinai where he took them to be his bride. And in their strengthened spirits, they raised up a generation of children who would enter the promised land and faithfully carry out God's mission. Or Elijah, called fire down from heaven to Mount Carmel. But then Elijah's spirit is crushed and he's discouraged because Israel doesn't listen. When Jezebel wants to kill him, no one steps up to defend him and Elijah went out into the desert and sat in the shade of a broom tree and pleaded to die. God came and sustained him sent him 40 days and nights in the desert without eating and drinking. And then on Mount Sinai, in a quiet whisper, strengthened Elijah's spirit. So with John, before he was ready to proclaim a message calling people to obedience and repentance so the way would be prepared for the coming of Messiah, he too found strength of spirit intense devotion to the Lord in the desert. Come, let's walk in those dusty sandal prints of John as God strengthens his spirit for his ministry of repentance and baptism. Come. Uphill, and maybe that's God's way of teaching us what He expects 
in this kingdom life he wants us to be part of. We've come up the mountains a bit in the Judah wilderness, and you can see below us the ruins of Qumran. And I'd like to ask a question up here. First, was John one of them? Was John an Essene? Well, let's start with the story of John. He was the son of a righteous priest and his wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth. That may not strike you as odd. God often uses righteous people. But if you read it from a Jewish point of view, that's sort of like saying a pastor who's a Christian. Or we have a rabbi who's Jewish. You kind of assume that if it's a priest, it's going to be righteous. And that indicates to you how corrupt the priesthood had become in the first century. That you have to note that this particular priest is righteous. Otherwise, if you had just said priest, you would have assumed not. And I think that's part of the story. Those Essenes weren't wrong. God's people had forgotten the lessons of the desert, and they no longer were that community that God had tried to shape there. So God is going to act again, like he did with Moses and with Israel, and then the next generation of Israel, and then people like David and Solomon. You know the story. They had a son. His name was John, they decided, which was odd, apparently. Zechariah was told that John would be in the spirit and power of Elijah. Let's look at that for a moment. To a Jew, Elijah is the ultimate in passion. You probably remember his Mount Carmel story. Climb up, have this contest with the Baal prophets, build an altar, slaughter a bull, pray his heart out, come all the way down miles to uh, carry out judgment on the Baal priest, climb all the way back up to pray, all the way back down to, to run ahead of a chariot for 18 miles, all apparently in a single day. That's how you think of Elijah, this intensely passionate man that gave everything for God. So if you're to be in the spirit and power of Elijah, you are going to be on fire. So this must have been a fiery person right from birth because he was going to be in that spirit and in that power. It's interesting to me how John shows us that he caught it. And I'm not sure that unless you're a, a Jewish thinker or an Eastern thinker, you might catch. Notice two things. Have you ever thought about where John baptized? Now, the obvious one is in the water. But what water? Well, the text says he baptized all around the Jordan. So must have been lots of places. But there are three places mentioned in the Bible. One is at a place called Bethany beyond the Jordan. They debate that. I think most likely it's up way up north by the Sea of Galilee in the Wadi there, in Batanea, the province of Batanea, because in John's Gospel he calls Bethany beyond the Jordan an area, not a village. So the first place, I believe, that's mentioned is way up there. Now, that's not the place Jesus was baptized. That's where John saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And then he said, I saw the Spirit descend on him. In other words, it's in the past already. There's a second place John is baptizing, which is discussed, is at a place called Enon near Salem. It's about halfway from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. Jesus is not baptized there either. The third place that is mentioned is right over here. Now, there is a new archaeological excavation that claims to be the place. If you look right here at the north end of the Dead Sea, 
You can see where the Jordan River runs. It's that dark line of trees that kind of snakes away from it. Just to the right of it, a little bit up on a hill, by a spring that runs as a tributary into the Jordan. That may very well be the place. In other words, John wasn't baptizing in the river proper, but in a small tributary that they would have thought of as part of the Jordan. And that is where Jesus was baptized, whether it's at that exact location that they think maybe or not. It's somewhere here. Now, what makes that intriguing is that those are three Elijah spots. The one up by the Sea of Galilee is where Elijah hid in a cave and God fed him with ravens, if you remember. The Anon near Salem place is where Elijah called Elisha at Abalmahola, they call it. Here is the place where the chariot came and Elijah made his ascent to heaven and Elisha took over for him. That's here. So it's as if the Bible wants to say, do you catch that this guy's Elijah? Now, most of us never even look on a map where he might be baptized. We never even think about it that way. But I think John is saying, I'm Elijah, so I'm going to go to Elijah places. There's another thing. Do you remember what he was wearing? Okay, camel hair, not camel skin, camel hair with a leather belt. That isn't so unusual, I suppose. But there's only one other character in the Bible that's mentioned dressing like that. And that's Elijah in the book of Kings. So it's as if John the Baptist showed up one day in his Elijah suit. And you can hear some child say, hey, mommy, daddy, look, there's a guy dressed like Elijah. And of course, that's who John thought he was, according to what was promised his father. And it's who Jesus said he was. He's the Elijah to come, the Elijah that's predicted in the Old Testament. We also know, and this is an intriguing passage to me, let me share it with you, that John the Baptist grew up in the desert. In Luke chapter 1, it says this, and the child grew and became strong, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. That appears from childhood, John lived in the desert. Now we know that the Essenes apparently took children that people didn't want painted with the world they lived in, and they would raise those kids in the fear of the Lord. So one wonders whether John was with these people down here. Not saying he was, but it is intriguing. It also says he was strong in spirit, which I find very interesting because in the Old Testament, when Moses went to Israel and Egypt, they didn't listen because they were crushed in spirit. Your English Bible will say discouraged, but the Hebrew literally says crushed in spirit. But John came to the desert, like Israel did, to become strong in spirit. At that point, Jesus came to him. Jesus also apparently in the desert. We learn of what John's message was, because the text says John was preaching, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the phrase has come near there implies a very close intimacy. Remember that kingdom of heaven? That's also an Exodus idea. Jews believe the kingdom of heaven started when God acted with great power and showed his finger. It continued when they fell on their faces by the Red Sea and called him Lord. And it continued when he said, okay, I've redeemed you. Now come to Sinai and learn to obey me so that I can be your king. So when John came preaching the kingdom of heaven, I think that's what he was preaching. 
God is going to act with power. You need to see him as Lord and now obey him. So his message is repent. Repent. Because if you're going to obey him, you're going to have to repent from what you've been doing. Right in the middle of that sermon, Jesus showed up. John, of course, recognized that Jesus didn't need to repent the sinless one. But remember, you go into the baptism after you become pure and holy. So Jesus insisted, nevertheless, to fulfill all righteousness. I want to be baptized by you. And John proceeded to whatever he did in those days to conduct the baptism. At that moment, it says, and the heaven was torn open, and the Spirit of God came down. I love that passage. That's, of course, a reflection, as you immediately recognize, to the book of Isaiah, in which Isaiah writes, rip open the heavens, O Lord, and come down. And here it comes through, at least in Mark's gospel, in his words. My point, as the Spirit descended, God spoke and said of Jesus who was being baptized, this is my son, the chosen one. Words from Isaiah 42 and Psalm 2, both thought to be messianic psalms. So from there, Jesus goes into the wilderness for his temptation. But that message of John sounds very much like the message we've been talking about, the Essenes. So let's ask the question one more time. Was John an Essene? On the yes side, we can say he had the same sermon. We can say he's in the same desert. We can say he practiced a similar baptism. We can say he also was against the temple. John doesn't seem very favorable to the temple authorities. In fact, his prediction that God would stand at his threshing floor and thresh the people and put the chaff in the fire and bring the grain into his barn, they would have heard as a judgment on the temple because the temple had been built on a threshing floor. So a Jew would have heard it as a criticism of the temple authorities. His vocabulary sounds as seen. For example, he talks about a brood of snakes. Same language you read here that the Essenes said. So there are a lot of similarities. On the other hand, honestly, I do not think John was an Essene, at least the kind in the New Testament. And there are three reasons I feel that way. One, there's no reference in the Essenes anywhere, or Josephus, who describes John and the Essenes in great detail, that they have any connection at all. Two, more importantly, John is very much a public figure calling people to repentance. The Essenes said, hey, if you want to join us, sell everything you've got and come here, they did not go out looking or inviting that kind of repentance. And third, John sends people back to a world the Essenes said you had to withdraw from. Clearly, John cannot be an Essene at the time of the New Testament. But I think that does not weaken the point at all that God has raised up here a community of people calling his nation to repentance and holiness and righteous living and into that context is going to come the Messiah. Much as he brought Israel into the desert to learn to live in a righteous way because he had a mission for them. And I think this passionate Elijah of a man who came to prepare the way so Jesus would come. 
also needed to be shaped and molded. Come, let me show you, come. John, like the Essenes, preached a message of repent. So when Herod, Herod Antipas, the king of the Jews, had the nerve to divorce his own wife in order to marry the wife of his brother, John stood up and publicly declared, that violates Torah, that's adultery, <coughs> our king sins. I didn't sit well with Herod. But he was afraid because John was well liked, even by soldiers, history records. So Herod arrested him, was afraid to hurt him, and imprisoned him. Now Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, tells John's story in an extended fashion. Josephus says, Herod imprisoned John here. We're in the country of Jordan, not far from the Dead Sea, in a fortress called in those days Machaerus, meaning sword in Greek. Been destroyed by the Romans before Jesus' birth, and Herod the Great, the killer of the babies of Bethlehem, rebuilt it. And it had been inherited by his son, Herod Antipas, way out in the middle of nowhere up the top of a gigantic mountain, and you see a little bit of Herod here. And imagine in one of these rooms off to the side here, our hero, the Elijah to come, this passionate man who went to the desert to call people to righteousness, sat alone in a cell. We don't know for how long, And then he called two of his disciples. I don't know how they came here or found him. And he said, go find the rabbi from Nazareth, Jesus, and ask him, are you the coming one or not? What happened? 
This is John, that passionate desert man who had the fire of God in his soul. Like a lot, what happened? Well, if we look at it in the cultural setting, I don't think John lost faith that Jesus was the Messiah. How could he have? He saw the heaven ripped open. He heard the voice say, this is my son. He had baptized him. He saw the dove. I think if you look culturally, what troubled John was this. In the Old Testament, the Messiah is predicted. But there's also someone who's called the coming one. In Zechariah 9, he's called, your king, O Jerusalem, the coming one, will come and do some powerful things. In the book of Malachi, it says the same. Your king will come. And I think John asked, well, okay, I know you're the Messiah, but are you the coming one? Are you that one who's going to do these powerful things? The reason I say that is, look at John's sermon sometimes. They're all about fire and judgment and axes at the root of the tree and chaff being thrown and threshing floors being cleaned and swept. Judgment. All things the Jewish people believe this coming one would do. And I think John's question was, I know you the Messiah, but did I mistake who the coming one was? Where's the fire? It becomes very poignant when you realize John sent his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the coming one? And in Zechariah 9, immediately after the Messiah is called your king, the one who comes, it says, and he will set the prisoners free. And I think John's question was, you're the Messiah and the coming one. Why am I in Herod's jail? Nobody gets out of Herod's jail. Jesus answers in a fascinating way. He doesn't say yes. He says, go tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the leper is cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor hear the good news. John your end times charts are off. John, you got it right, I am the Messiah. But at my first coming, it's not about power. It's not about fire. It's not about judgment. It's about love for people who are experiencing chaos. It's feeding the hungry. It's sitting with the sinner. It's touching the leper. That's how the kingdom comes, John. He quotes a whole series of phrases from Isaiah about blind and lame and lepers. And the one he leaves out, the prisoners will be set free. And I think John heard in that answer, John, my friend, I am the coming one. But you've got my method wrong. That will be the next coming. I came to love the broken. But John, you will die in jail. And so one night, some have suggested right here in this 
banquet hall, the columns of which have been restored, original capital even, there was a party. And they brought that passionate desert preacher who wanted people to walk and live to rob to one of these rooms, maybe the one you stand in, if Josephus is right. They cut his head off and brought it on a plate here. And other than an occasional picnicker or a busload of tourists or two, this place stands in silence. So what do we do? Be a John the Baptist. Everything about him pointed to Jesus. Everything. Everything he said, everything he did, pointed to Jesus. And when you fail, seek his forgiveness. You're not going to see it all happen either. Go after it. You have inspired me. You have the courage to speak what you believe, lovingly, gently, but convictingly, even to power, in a culture where God and his ways are increasingly irrelevant. Will you speak to the one with two coats and ask him to share? Will you speak to the one who has food and convince him or her to give to the hungry? Will you live that? Will you speak to the soldier and the tax collector and even the king? <coughs> This place moves me deeply. Died alone, <coughs> the hands of a wicked man, because of what he believed in, was deep within him. May God raise up a generation, not only of Essenes who love the text, but Johns who live and die for that book. Everything you do, point to Jesus. For me, it's a great honor just to stand here. a little bit on that one. So Josephus, he mentions him a few times, was a Jewish historian. I, I thought it was an important thing to point out. A lot of the like historic books that I read, uh, other authors that I read, reference this guy a whole lot. Uh, he seems to be a pretty trustworthy eyewitness to some of the things 
uh, that he writes about. So the, the, the image that you see there is on the Arch of Titus in Rome, and it shows, uh, I think there's senators and soldiers actually, hauling back some of the stuff that they took from the temple in Rome. Josephus was there. He watched it, and he was on, actually at that point in time, he was on the side of the Romans. He served Titus and Vespasian. Yeah. Uh, I think they sent him into the city and some other stuff like that. Anyway, his, his writings, so they're not in the Bible. They're, he's not uh, Holy Scripture or anything like that. He's just a historian who happened to be a contemporary of the people that were writing, the Gospels that were writing. So there's a whole lot of weight added to the fact that here, here's, here's a, another viewpoint, just a kind of sterile, historic viewpoint of some of the very things that we can read about in Scripture. And then similarly, he wrote kind of a whole lot of, about John the Baptist himself, a little bit about Jesus, not as much, but he's actually one of the historic, like, hey, again, someone's not in the Bible, but writing history that mentions Jesus. Um, yeah, and so other, other historians uh, tend to quote him as a, as a reliable source. So that brings us to, say, discussion. You want to help me do this? John the Baptist demonstrated in character, word, and action the spirit and power of Elijah. So think about the things he said, the places he taught, what he wore. In what ways did this manner of creating multiple visual and geographic and tangible and mental images make his message more powerful to the people he was teaching? How did he help conjure up Elijah and what did that do? Yes. I know that uh, some people uh, process differently. Uh, you know, at, at my workplace, we talk about visual learners versus technical versus auditory learners. So, uh, obviously, making multiple messages in multiple media more people. Sure. That's what he had to make it stick any way he could. Yeah. He looked like him, he dressed like him, he preached like him. Yeah. He was Elijah Jr. basically. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's right, 2.0. And much to like what we were saying, you know, with the discussion before the video, he went to the same places. So the people that went to go hear him were standing in those places. I mean, you just couldn't help but think about Elijah when you were watching John the Baptist. What did you feel as you learned about the events of John's imprisonment and his correspondence with Jesus and then his ultimate execution? I've always had this horrible feeling about the way they cut off his head because it was more about a um, family quarrel when it was a battle of philosophy or it just seemed like an injustice to his his significance for it to not be about the mess you know it wasn't martyrdom it was a selfish yeah. act a request of a, a woman you know it was just so it just seemed like a that, you know, just a broken connection. Yes. Uh, I think one interesting uh, lesson from it is that he 
misunderstood Jesus in such a huge way, yet he was <coughs> pointing to Jesus. And I think that could be comforting to us that even if we don't understand Jesus perfectly, we can still point to him. You know, you can, I mean, you can still enjoy food without knowing how it got made, <laughs> you know, um, and knowing all the ingredients and how to make it yourself. You can still enjoy the food. John, in the same way, points to Jesus as well as anyone without understanding Jesus uh, perfectly. Yeah, that's awesome. I felt really uncomfortable because I didn't know kind of the backstory about his correspondence with Jesus and the way they were quoting so much scripture back and forth to one to one another. His his pretty you know plaintive request, are you gonna leave me in here? I didn't understand that before I saw this. And Jesus reply in that he left out the part about setting the prisoners free. If you haven't signed up for the email list uh, and if you're interested, please do. So I think we got it out Friday. Maybe I'll try to do it more middle of the week this next time. Um, you need me to. I was going to say this. Oh. Even when he had been prisoned, he probably was thinking, God help Elijah to get out of trouble for Vietnam and Jezebel and the king. Rising a couple of days. I'm not like Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. And there's this terrifying moment where he's like, that's not going to happen. Okay, yeah, so uh, let me know if you need this uh, to sign up for the email list. There's a couple of additional readings we thought we'd put into the email uh, that were great from the study guide. Like, uh, so going into a little bit more detail of the places where he baptized. And also, uh, this is a great discussion here of was John an Essene? Uh, that's a interesting, you know, I don't think we can know. But Ray has got a lot of ideas of, you know, one, one side or, that or the other. So uh, we'll include that in the email. Um, I think it's time to wrap up. So uh, we don't have time to talk about the day in the life of Elijah. We might put that in the email as well. You guys enjoy. Have a blessed Sunday.